0: Tour Junkies. What's up golf addicts? Thank you for downloading the Tour Junkies podcast. This episode is an interview with our friend Jason Sobel. Jason is a senior contributor on ESPN and espn.com. Been covering golf for nearly 20 years. He's got some great stories that he shares with us including a great Phil Mickelson gambling story. We talk about the state of golf media. We talk about DFS and how it's perceived both from the player and from the media and maybe the future of DFS as it pertains to the PGA Tour. We've got some laughs in this episode. It's a great one. We enjoyed our conversation with Jason. We know you will, too. This episode is brought to you by Swing Caddy. Listen, we've been pumping the Swing Caddy for a couple months now. We have one ourselves. We love it. If you don't want to spend the thousands of dollars on a track man, but you want to see some numbers on your golf swing, your swing speed, your ball speed, your carry distance—the Swing Caddy can help you do that. And all you got to do is go to TourJunkies.com, and at the top of our page, you can click Swing Caddy Promo. And when you go to check out, make sure you put in Tour Junkies, all lowercase, all one word in the promo box. Click Apply, and you can save sixty bucks off the Swing Caddy and get it for less than three hundred dollars. It's a pretty good deal. A great device if you're trying to improve your real golf game. So thanks again for downloading this episode of the Tour Junkies podcast. We hope you enjoy. May your screens be green. See ya. What's going on, Golf Addicts? The Tour Junkies podcast. We have got... A fresh one for you, a brand new guest. We kind of teased this guest on Twitter a little bit today. We're excited about this one. We like bringing something fresh, a fresh perspective to the Tour Junkies podcast and to the PGA Tour in general. We have got Jason Sobel, senior golf writer from ESPN.com, sports Emmy winner, esteemed and decorated by the Golf Writers Association of America, New York native, co-host of the ESPN Golf Podcast with his. Uh, wacky sidekick Michael Collins. He's been covering golf since like 2000, and he just he's just inside the ropes week in and week out, and just loves golf, knows golf. We're glad to have Jason on the show. What's up, Jason? How are you, man?
1: What's up, fellas? Uh, first of all, thanks for the nice introduction. Secondly, how long have we been talking about this? I mean, we've been talking for what two years About <laughs> Like, hey, let's find been a day. Finally, we had to go, okay, like, how about Wednesday night at 9? Yeah, okay, that, that's the only time we can all get together. It's perfect. Okay, <laughs> after two years, we finally figured out a time when we could all do this. So uh, glad we could finally make this
0: happen. Now, uh, you're being nice because, you know, Jason, it, it's we're about three weeks away from the two year anniversary of Four Junkies' first ever podcast. And, and 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 had we asked you two years ago, I'm pretty sure you would have <laughs> said no because you had no idea who we were. Um, you know what? Somehow we I, managed I, to I pop up that. on your Twitter feed. <laughs>
1: I, I wouldn't say. That. You know, I'm. I, I definitely. I'm not one of the nice guys out there. I'm not like you know. I. I don't profess to be like. Wow, you know. I. I love helping people out. I love doing stuff. If you had called me and said, "Hey, look, we're starting up this podcast. We want you on." I'd say, you know what? I got nothing better to do. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I'll there do you go. So I, I don't say no to much. So, but yes, absolutely. Do you guys almost on your two year mark? Absolutely, anytime. almost
0: especially on Wednesday night. There we go. We could, we could make this a regular thing. You know, you ditch that Michael Collins guy and you just come hang out with us every week. You probably, uh, you'd have, you'd have some fun. Michael who? Um, yeah, I know, right. Um, um, well, let's, let's get started. We just want to have a casual conversation with you, man. You, you've, you've been around golf and the PGA tour, you know, for a while, you've seen a lot of, a, a lot of what, Ourselves and our listeners, I think, are, are really interested in and just kind of life on tour and, and inside the ropes. But you know, first of all, we thought you you might kind of give us a little bit of, uh, of background on yourself and like your your initial entry into the golf media world and and what's like what's going on for you now and and just like catch us up real quick.
1: There is like no sort of, I guess the. Uh how do I put it sort of a uh, normal path to get into uh, golf writing. I, I don't know that there's like just one thing. Oh, well I went to school for it and then I got a job and then I kept working and that's what I did. It just doesn't really exist. So, I mean, I, I worked, I worked my butt off in college, and uh, which had nothing to do with college, but I, I wrote for magazines, wrote for newspapers, uh, worked at the sports radio station up in Boston. I, I did a lot of stuff like that in college, wound up getting a job at ESPN uh, just about three weeks after college graduation. I went to Brandeis University up in Waltham, Massachusetts. And uh, and so I, I started ESPN as a production assistant, entry-level, producing highlights, working late nights and six days a week and holidays and weekends wow. and all that good stuff. And uh, after a few years, I graduated to associate producer and eventually graduated to highlight supervisor. And after a couple of years of being a highlight supervisor, um, I, I got... Uh, I got wind of the golf editor job open for ESPN.com, and I didn't know exactly what it was, but I had a writing background, I had a video background, obviously from working in TV, which they were just starting to integrate more video onto the website at that point. And I had a golf background; I'd covered a handful of U.S. Opens for the TV side, Um, and for whatever reason, somebody at ESPN.com thought those things all worked together pretty well, and so I got the job. And so at that time, I get the job. I said, "Wow, this is great," and. Uh, we didn't have a a writer. We had Bob Harrod, who wrote for the St. Pete Times, obviously writes for us now, but he would write like one or two things a week for us. And every once in a while for majors, we'd send columnists, but we didn't have a full-time staff golf writer. And so my first day on the job, I'm sitting there and I said, you know, we don't have any content. I went to my boss. I said, can I write something? My boss said, yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. I mean, really like he did not (laughs) care. So I went and I wrote something and I, posted it to the website and no one seemed to yell at me for anything the next day i went to him i said well if we have no content again can i write something else he goes yeah i i don't care and so i went and i wrote something else and pretty soon i i was basically the editor and writer of the section and i did that for about four years where i was kind of doing two jobs simultaneously and kind of just said look uh either either they said you're a better writer or editor than an editor or Uh, You cause less damage as a a writer than another, But either way, uh, they just put me on staff as a senior writer. So uh, I've been doing that ever since. I left for four years, went to Golf Channel, moved down to Orlando where I still live, went back to ESPN about two and a half years ago, and uh, I'm thrilled there. It's it's a really good place, really good people to work with, and I couldn't be happier about the situation. I don't cover golf. Um, Like any job, I can complain about things. Everyone can complain about any job. I try to catch myself from complaining too much about it because it really is a pretty damn cool job. I'm on the road about, oh, 22, 24 weeks out of the year covering PGA Tour golf and uh, walking around some of the best fairways in the world and talking to some of the best golfers in the world. So it is pretty cool.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, you know, you know as we learn from a lot of players and caddies too that we have on the on the podcast, you know, it's not it's not, there are some downsides to it. It does seem like it's just the, the best thing in the world, but it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of moving parts. So I'm sure that there are some parts of your job that aren't, aren't so sexy, but, uh, I think there's a lot of parts that a lot of our, our listeners would love to, uh, you know, would love to have. So it's, it's cool. And it's, it's, it seems like, I mean, you took some initiative there. So you've obviously been like a golf fan for a while, right? Like it, it's, like, did you get into golf at a young age? <laughs>
1: I will tell you my story. So I, I do remember um, watching some tournaments with a kid with my grandfather, who was a big-time golfer and and loved the game, but really didn't get into it until uh, basically my grandfather died when I was 18, my freshman year of, of college. And uh, and I went to his funeral, and I you know afterwards I was at his house. I turned to my grandmother and I said, can I have his golf clubs? And she said, yeah, of course. Oh, we're not going to do anything with them. So I took his golf clubs. That was my first real set of clubs Was when I was 18. Uh, I didn't grow up playing that much. Grew up playing every other sport and loving every other sport. Um, but then I, I got the bug a little bit. I was a camp counselor uh, the summer of my sophomore year. And, and I'm going somewhere with this. and It's a pretty good story. So hang with me. It takes a second. But when I was a camp we, counselor, we after, uh, between my sophomore and junior years of college, uh, I would get out of camp at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Me and a couple of buddies would go to this par 3 course called Robert Moses on Long Island. 100-yard holes, this that. Uh, you bring a wedge, you bring a putter, and uh, unbeknownst to me, I was just out there having fun, but it's actually a great way to learn the game. I mean, go out there and, uh, and hit nothing but wedges and, and putts and figure out the short game, and then you can work on the driver later. So uh, I kind of learned how to play a little bit, and about a week before I went back to school for my junior year, I called up uh, one of my best friends, Matt Mitchell, who was the captain of the golf game at
0: Brandeis, uh,
1: the now defunct Brandeis University golf team, um, and I said, look, I've started playing golf a little bit. I'm not good. Can I, can I kind of be on the team or at least practice with the team, be around the team? I said, well, I'll introduce you to Coach, and, uh, and, and we'll see what he has to say. So I get back to school, first day back. He brings me down to the gym. Coach is this guy named Bob Branham, who was a power forward for the Celtics back in the 50s. And you talk about a guy with hands like meat hooks. He had meat hooks. I mean, his <laughs> hand could just envelop your hand. Grumpy, old, gruff guy. Um, we used to be in his office and he'd answer the phone and go, so what do you want? Stop fucking calling me. And he'd hang up the phone. And we're like, who is that? He goes, ah, it was fucking Koozie again. We're like, you can't talk to Bob Koozie like that. In any case, that that was coach Brownham. So we go down to the gym. I hit about 10 balls into a net in the gym. And he turns to me and he says, well, you're not very good. I said, um, yeah, I know. Uh, just learning. And he said, well, can you drive? And I go to take out my driver. I'm thinking, you know, he's gonna give me some lesson, less you know, whatever. I said, "No, I'm not that." Hey, can you drive a car? I said, "Yeah, of course I can." And now I'm thinking, like, you know, he's gonna say it's just like driving a car. You have to do this in order to learn the golf I said, Yeah, he said, "Do you have a car here on campus?" I said, "I do actually." He said, "Does it have a trunk?" I'm like, "What is he getting at?" I'm like, "Yeah, it has a trunk." Said, how many people can fit in?" It? I, said, I don't know, five. Said, "Can you drive to practice?" I said. Yeah? He said, all right, you're on the team. And so so I was a college golfer because I had a car in college.
0: That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Congratulations. What a, you know, I, I missed that part in the research. I should have thrown that in the introduction that,
1: uh, well,
0: that, that, that esteemed college career because you had a trunk.
1: The postscript to that story is, we got through about three months of the season. It was, I think, the last tournament of the year. We're talking about the New England Invitational, where it's not just Division Three schools. We were a non-scholarship, and even the kids that played on the team were good golfers for college players, but certainly not Division One level, certainly not anybody that's going to go professional at any point. And so, unbeknownst to me, we get to this, uh, this tournament at the end of the year, and we had a big party in my apartment on a Friday night, 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, the phone starts ringing. And it's one of those, you know, so you sit up and you feel like your head is ringing. You're like, oh, it's the phone. Answer the phone. Guy on the team says, look, three guys have mid-turns. Two guys are sick. I even called my brother. He doesn't even go to school here. We can't field the team unless you can make it. I go, yeah, sure, man, I'll play. Literally, it might have been my first full round of 18 holes playing golf on a real course at UCBerry on Cape Cod, which I've since been back to. Andy Bassett, who's the CFO of Travelers and sort of runs the Travelers Championship as a member there. After I told him the story, he took me back out a couple of years ago, and I, uh, I, I at least uh, felt a little better about myself uh, that I've gotten better over the last 20 years. But, um, so, so I went and played in this tournament against kids who, I mean, the parents were random. I was playing with kids who were on scholarship at Division I schools in New England, and I am sitting there just popping the ball all over the place. It was as embarrassing as it ever could be.
0: That's horrible. Yeah. That, that's basically what me and Pat do every, every time we play golf. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not true. Not true just Pat. Hey, going back to your time at the golf channel, did you ever have an experience where you came to blows with, uh, Brandel Chambly?
1: I'm going to tell you, I'm being completely honest. Cause I would, you know, I'll tell you. No, I He's one, like, one, get, get one of my favorite people in golf. I am being dead honest with you. Not only is he one of my favorite people, I think he's one of the smartest people in the game. I have been around him. I've I've worked on shows with him. I've been around him when he's preparing for those shows. I'm not sure there's anybody who works harder. He's got iPads filled with swings of players. He He can go back and look at Ricky Fowler's swing in 2009 and Ricky Fowler's swing last week and say, here's what he's doing a little bit differently and figure out why he's doing this and why it's better for him. He's got notes from everywhere he's got every possible stat and he's got uh and, and, and he's and he's well spoken about it too i i understand that a lot of times people can watch him and disagree with him and uh, what always flummoxes me is the fact that people can't separate the fact that they disagree with him but still think he's intelligent and informative and i, I really like that in a person. In a i i listen to colin cowherd a lot uh both when he was on espn yeah and- now he's working Love for Fox. Congress. I listen to Ka- Colin Coward and half the time, maybe more than half the time, I go, he is out of his mind nuts. I don't agree with him, but <laughs> he's intelligently putting together uh, a yeah. coherent, cogent point that I go, well, I don't agree with it, but I respect the opinion. He's at least making me think of it. And the fact that people can't see that about Brandel—that right. look, you might not agree with what he's saying, but you can at least look at it from his perspective and say, I get where he's going with it though. And he's really smart about what he's saying. So, I, I, again, I really like Brad. I'd tell you, if I if I ever came to Blows he's one of my favorite people. Seriously. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give you... Here's another great sort of example to another another guy who's an ESPN guy for a long time and, and now is with Fox. But uh, I, I used to, as a production assistant, we were talking about my old days, uh, beginning with ESPN as a production assistant. Uh, one of my jobs, I believe about two years in, was uh, working on some NFL shows. And... Every Monday morning, I'd get in early during the football season, 7 a.m. I'd collect up. Back then, they were all on beta tape. All the games would be taped. Uh, there would be two beta copies, and those were like gold to have kind of in your bin throughout the day and not give up to anybody because, like, literally the entire company has two copies of the Packers-Vikings game from the day before, and I would try to collect one just for our show. And so one day, I go into the uh, we had a videotape library, I go down there, and there's nothing else in there. And and none of the games were there from the day before. And, you know, it's checked out by this guy who is this guy. I go down to uh, the screening room and Mark Schlereth on his first day of work had gotten there at 6 a.m., taking all the tapes and he was going through them just as he had done through game film when he was a player. And I always, I, I told think that a couple of years wow. ago. I said, look, I, I've always remembered that about you. And I, I think that that's the difference between being a good analyst and a great analyst is going that extra mile. And I think that's the same thing that Brandel does as well.
0: Well, all right. So, you know, Brandel is somewhat controversial. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your article that you came out with. I guess it was last week about players and tour players and sort of this culture of them being friends and pulling for each other and, and things like that. You know, kind of talk a little bit about your article and then your thoughts there. And and then, you know, because I'm with you. I, I think that, that players, you know, it's just, you can't look at it like you do football teams or basketball teams or whatever. I mean, these guys, they are rooting for each other, but they, they want to beat each other's brains out. And I think it makes the game better. So I guess just kind of give us your thoughts about your article and, and just kind of on that, that situation.
1: Well, first of all, I mean, it, it's occurred to me for the last few years. And I hear it anytime Ricky and Justin are waiting on the final green for Jordan or uh, Jordan and Ricky with Bud Colley on the final green for Justin, you hear it on Twitter. All these people go not uh, they should be almost like they should be like on the range working on their games for next time, or they should be in the locker room sulking about how they didn't win this week. They shouldn't be happy for another competitor. It's like, I think Zach Johnson said it best. He said, look, we're playing against the golf course. I can't play defense against the other guy. There's nothing I could have done better to stop him. It's not like I could have defended him on the ball better and blocked his shot like in a basketball game. So uh, you might as well just be happy for a guy and congratulate a guy. And, and you can say it's pretty good karma for these guys as well, because, you know, I talked to Jordan. Hey, did you think you would jinx it when he drank out of the claret jug when Zach won? He goes, Nope, never even crossed my mind. Guess what? Two years later, He goes and wins. Justin drinks out of his Claret jug. A month later, he's winning the Wanamaker trophy. So uh, I really respect the fact that these guys can put it aside. They can put their own efforts aside, at least for a little while, and say, man, I want to go congratulate a buddy who I'm really good friends with, I'm really happy for. And uh, I thought it was important in that piece to show that it's not just these millennial guys who uh, maybe get paid too much money these days and don't care enough about winning, which is why, I went back and and I spoke with Gary Player and and Jack Nicholas. actually traded emails with uh, each of them and and their representatives. And and I got in some really good stories from both Player and Nicholas back in the day, basically saying, we did the same thing. We might not have been standing on the 18th green, but we might have waited in the locker room or waited in the parking lot or gone out for beers afterwards. And we were around our friends when they won and we congratulated them. So uh, I really thought it was important to show that this is nothing new. It's not like in the last two years, guys have started congratulating each other after victories. This has been going on for uh, over a half century, and, and quite frankly, maybe even a lot longer than that. So uh, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. And uh, I certainly hope these guys keep doing it. In fact, I was in the middle of asking Jordan a question the other day in the flash interview area as Justin had finished up on 18 at TBC Boston. And Jordan said, Jason, hold on one second. Uh, let me go do this and he jumped off the podium ran up just gave him a little bro hug said congratulations and then came and ran back out on the podium said sorry i just had to do that real quick which i thought was really cool and i will say this much and you know i kind of got into this conversation in a radio interview the other day uh the game needs as many personalities as it can get it needs polarizing figures and what i mean by that is we need more players who you root for and root against more players who inspire passion i've always thought this way that uh bubble watson isn't necessarily a favorite of a lot of people and that's okay in fact it's actually great for the game to have guys who are up on the leaderboard and people go man i'm going to watch just because i don't want that guy to win now yeah. does bubble want people to root against him probably not i'm sure he wants people to like him but that's okay ian polter people are TPC Boston this past week were openly rooting against him and yelling at him while he was playing every week in the United States when he's playing out here. I don't know if that's great for Ian Poulter. I don't know if that's great for his mindset. But I think it's good for the game to have players that you don't just shrug your shoulders at and go, "Yeah, seems like a nice guy. I guess I, I guess I like him. You either really like guys or you dislike players. And the players that inspire passion, the more, more of those players we can get in the game, I think it's a, a better thing for the game overall.
0: So all right so talking about good for the game you know David and I obviously talk a lot of fantasy golf drafting mm-hmm. that kind of stuff daily fantasy you know what do you think what's the impact you know you think fantasy golf has on the tour as far as popularity you know tv ratings engagement i mean we obviously have a, have a way that we think about it because we we think it's very good for the tour and, and you know you get new people involved in the game that never would would have been so just give us give us your thoughts on that and kind of how you think that direction is going as far as the tour itself is concerned.
1: I've never been one of these sort of gloom and doom scenario type guys when it comes to the future of the game. I think people tend to look at golf without Tiger Woods and in this post-Tiger era and say, oh, golf is doomed and golf is never going to be good again and no one's going to watch. The numbers are down. I think you have to take it for what it was. It was it's always been a niche sport. It took a huge spike when Tiger was in his prime. Tiger isn't playing anymore, or at least he's not playing right now, and so those numbers have dipped a little bit. And you know, they basically regress to the mean, and that's okay. That's what they're supposed to do. That said, any new faces, especially younger faces, that we can bring to the game is obviously good. I mean, uh, you can't have enough of that. In fact, uh, I uh, I think DFS content, whether it's fantasy, daily fantasy, uh, whether you're straight gambling on players, it's all good. I, I you know, I, I think that. If it gets you interested in the game, I, I think it's a benefit for, for the tour. It's a benefit for the game in general. I, I've had this idea for uh, at least 12, maybe 14 years. And, and this dates back to the days when basically Tiger would play an event and 90% of the crowd at that event would be following Tiger. And then in the other way, Phil would be playing and at least 50% would be following Phil. My idea was that every fan walks through the gate with their ticket and they get handed. It's a little slip of paper. It's like a Cracker Jack prize. You rip it open, it's got a player's name on it. If that player has the low score of the day, you win something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It can be something from the sponsor. It can be something from an auxiliary sponsor. Maybe it's an ice cream cone. Maybe it's a raffle ticket to win a car. It doesn't even matter what it is. But you rip that thing open, and you look at it, and it says, Scott Verplank, guess what you're going to do? You're going to run to the fourth hole where Scott Verplank is, (laughs) and you're going to root like hell for him to go out and shoot the best round of the day. And if he does it, you're going to remember him for the next 30 years as the guy who won you an ice cream cone. And at least it gets you rooting for other players. And I think that's what DFS, fantasy, gambling, all those things do it. Uh, it gets you learning more about players. It gets you uh, personally involved with, uh, with the players, personally invested in what they're doing. Uh, I, I think it's a huge benefit for the game.
0: Jason, you're you're a sharp guy, and I and I know you you know a little bit about fantasy golf and DFS and that kind of thing as well. Do you think? And you you've been covering this since you know 2000. So do you think that there that we are more likely to see um, if DFS? Let's talk specifically for a minute DFS, not the mm-hmm. that sorry a, Avis fantasy game that the PGA Tour <laughs> pumps on their website. But let's talk specifically DF- DFS. If if it were legalized, let's say in the state of Florida and or just federally, um, if it were legalized, do you think we are, uh, with with Jay Monahan being the commissioner, are we in a better spot to see the tour embrace it than we were with Tim Fincham before him?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think that there's there's no question that Jay is, Younger, he's sort of hipper, to use a non-young term, but uh, he's more kind of with it. He understands uh, newer things, and he understands change a little bit uh, better, embraces change. So I-, I certainly think it's in better hands with Jay. In fact, I, I think golf in general. You look from Jay Monahan to Keith Pelley of the European Tour to Pete Bovacqua. I- there are a lot of really smart, sort of younger people who are in charge of the game, these days and i think that's uh that's put the game in really good hands moving forward uh the other thing that really helps is you look at some of the other commissioners maybe not roger goodell but i know adam silver has really embraced yeah. the idea that hey gambling's okay and maybe we should legalize this and and maybe we tax it and maybe we uh turn this into something where uh it, it's not sort of thought of in, in back alleys and and only las vegas where where there's something where we can do some good from it. Maybe money goes to charity, whatever it might be. And I think that once one of those sports fully embraces it, that the other ones will come around as well and see that there's an added benefit to it as well. So uh, I don't know how much Jay Monahan knows about DFS. I don't know how much he even right now cares about DFS. I'm sure he's got a lot of other priorities on his plate before that. But
0: yeah, yeah.
1: if and when the time comes up that uh, it's brought to his table and said, look, uh, we kind of want you to make a decision. Are you in or out on this? What do you think? And if it's completely legal uh, nationwide, boy, I think it's something that he thinks seriously about and says, look, if this brings more people to the game, if this brings more fans to the PGA Tour events, more people watching, I'm all for it.
0: Do you think the players, like, overall, what do you think the sentiment or the, uh, the awareness level of PGA Tour players, is around DFS and fantasy sports?
1: Even the ones who don't quite understand it are very aware of it. They're very Uh very aware, especially guys on social media, are aware when, you know, they shoot 76, and guys go on social media and say, ah, you're a bum, you screwed me today. They get Uh, to say, they, they might not understand, like, hey, he has a lineup, and he has to spend X amount of dollars in his lineup and so he fit me in under the salary cap as one of his
0: right, right. guys or eight
1: guys. They they might not understand the full concept, but they know, hey, they're invested in me this week, and I didn't play well. That means they're not going to make their money, and so they're mad at me. They they get that. That's a pretty easy concept to grasp. Now, other ones who are more savvy, and uh, look, there are a lot of guys on tour. They won't admit it. They like their action. Uh, I was out on the flight with... Yeah a couple of tour players uh, the the Mayweather fight a few weeks ago and one of them's looking at the over on the Stanford Rice second half score and going, you know, <laughs> he started looking at, at stuff and he goes, you know, I've wanted to do that golf bandwool stuff for a long time. He's just like, it just feels a little kind of weird to me. I, I just feel like I shouldn't do it and <laughs> I think I'd clean up on it if I did it. And I go, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. For a guy who's making a few million dollars a year in earnings,
0: Right, right. probably
1: not much benefit to um to coming out there and uh and trying to do that and you know maybe <laughs> yeah what what if he wins a million bucks playing FanDuel yeah, and yeah. didn't have himself that week it's just a really bad look but uh but i think they understand it. at least they're savvy enough to get it
0: yeah it's uh that probably got a little pete rose feel to it um yeah well, you bring up a good point like we we always Anytime we have a player on, we we typically ask them, you know, do, are you aware of DraftKings or do you feel like it's something that that you're more aware of now than you used to be? And they they all have said yes. You know, they hear people yelling at them in the, on the course, "Hey man, do good this week. I got you on my fantasy team." Blah blah blah. Um, but but very recently we had, and this has been going on since you know since DraftKings, especially in 2015. But you mentioned kind of the troll on Twitter and you know the the stupid fantasy golf fan that wants to <laughs> at a tour pro for having a bad a bad week or withdrawing or whatever which yeah yeah so like since day one of the tour junkies podcast we have done nothing but admonish that behavior that is ridiculous and stupid and there's a whole lot of things we said about it in our last episode but you had the grandolette thing uh you know clearly a guy who so so some of the people that that do what we do on twitter that that you may or may not know of are saying things like you know man graham is is missing an opportunity to market himself graham's missing an opportunity to touch base with a with a fan base you know here and and and, and kind of criticizing him there i mean you you know um so i guess the thing is like It's easy for Pat and I, especially in our tour junkies bubble, to feel like the DFS influence is bigger than than it probably is. Mm -hmm. So the question is, like, uh, you know, like, how much influence do you think the DFS community in golf has on things like paying for PGA Tour Live and watching featured groups when coverage is nowhere? Um, Things like, you know, the millennial TV ratings on the Golf Channel in the last two years things like, you know, paying attention to the Shell Houston Open or, you know, whatever other random, the Wyndham. Um, Sure, sure. How much do you actually think, what's your opinion on the actual influence of the DFS community on things like that?
1: It's a great question. I I couldn't even guess at that um, just because, I mean, there's got to be a number you can put on it. I'm not sure if there's been a study. I, I honestly don't know if it's... know, 5% more or 20% more? I I just don't know the answer. What I would say is that I would be willing to bet that the average age of viewer for the Shell Houston Open five years ago on a Thursday afternoon might have been 59, and these days might be 54 because the younger viewers who are playing DFS and playing Fantasy Golf are now tuning in, and so it's brought a younger demographic into the game. So, uh, I I'd be willing to bet that that's the case. As far as like the exact influence, I don't know. Um, I do want to get into, and, and I'm taking a little bit of a left turn here, but sort of related to everything. I, I wrote a, I wrote a DFS column for about a year and a half for ESPN, and uh, one of the things that people really didn't like about it was the fact that it was behind a paywall. And quite frankly, I, I agree with them, and it's one of the reasons I stopped doing it because I you know look if you know you shouldn't necessarily have to pay for that content. if all all of my other content is going to be free out there and you can read every other story I write. But if you want to win your, uh, band or tournament that week, you, you, you've got to pay for it. So I, I didn't necessarily like that either. And I got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of criticism for that. But the second thing was that people would sort of yell at me for, Hey, you're just a golf writer. You don't know anything about DFS. As if I could understand the concept of it. You guys know, I've told you before I play, you know, I play very limited golf. I just kind of like, Talking about that player before, right? you know, it just feels a little icky to me. Uh, I'll make a couple yeah, of lineups yeah. every week for very uh, low stakes, just to kind of see like ownership levels and just kind of see like what people are doing, and who people are picking, and what people think that week. But uh, for the most part, um, I-, I don't get uh, I don't get too into golf. But I love I do baseball every single night. Hockey season I absolutely love. I can't believe they don't have college football anymore. Cause that was my absolute favorite. Yeah. I'll do NFL along with the entire rest of the world too. Um, yeah. And I like it. It gives you more reason to watch. You know, People talk about watching TV shows at night. You know, hey, do you watch this show? Do you watch that show? I go, no, I, nope. I throw in a few Fanduel lineups and then I watch baseball games every night. That's more enjoyable to me than anything else I can watch on TV. And it, it definitely enhances the experience. Um, but I will say, I, I got criticism a couple times back in the day. There was, I think it was probably two or three years ago. I had picked Webb Simpson to win at the Greenbrier. And Wednesday evening, uh, I see Webb in the lobby of the hotel, and he's sort of like working on his swing. He's like trying to do like this air golf swing in the lobby of the hotel at the Green Park. (laughs) And I go up to him. I know Webb pretty well. I go up to him, and I give him a little crap. And I say, you know, you're working on your swing on Wednesday night? And Webb turns to me and goes, no, dude, like an hour ago, I just lifted my kid out of the pool, and, like, my rib totally, like, locked up on me.
0: And Uh, I don't even know if I can play tomorrow.
1: And I said, oh my God. So I walked away, and it was very sort of gray area where I wasn't sitting there with a, re- recorder, uh, a recorder and a notebook saying, hey, hey, Webb, how are you feeling today? What's going on? But I also knew some information that could change a pick that a lot of people, I, I may have influenced people to make. And now I understand that there's, uh, there, there's different information out there. So I basically went on Twitter and said, look, as a guy who knows some things that other people might not know, you might want to stay yep. off my Web Simpson pick for this week. And people were so mad at me because they go, look, what are you trying to do? People accused me of trying to drive down ownership levels so that my yeah. team could win with Web Simpson. <laughs> people accused me of, uh, of not reporting a story. I had people accusing me. They said, you know, and I said, look, I, I can't report it because, you know, it's sort of off the record, but I do know some information. And, and people said, look, there's no reporting in DFS. And, Said, you, there's reporting and everything, and uh, this is one of the things I know. You, you know, you guys and I were were uh, texting and DMing the other day about you know sort of what we could talk about on the pod. And I, I think that there's definitely a space that's available where you guys have what you do, we do what we do, and I I mean I know certain things where even if I can't necessarily go out and say it, I know reasons why a player will play well or why he won't play well. Hey, so and so always plays well when. His wife is staying at home and she's not at the tournament with him and she's not here this week. Now, that's not going to show up in any kind of stats page that you're working on. It's not going to show up in any kind of algorithm. But that's pretty good. There's one player who, anytime he would travel to a city, young single player, anytime he would travel to a city where there are a lot of young ladies in that city, Phoenix, uh, he wouldn't play well that week. Guess why? (laughs) And... (laughs) <laughs> and so, you know, of course I can't go in an article and say that on the record about a player without him actually telling me that and having sourced information, but it was kind of one of these things within PGA Tour circles, everybody knew, hey, uh, don't take him at Phoenix, but Hartford, Connecticut might be a nice place to take him
0: that week. <laughs> well, yeah. You know... I can tell you, Jason, from from just the two years that that David and I have done this, you, you learn to grow some pretty thick skin when it comes to making picks and sure and, and things like that. Because we 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 certainly take a, a decent amount of flag, but it, but it's okay. You know, we understand that. But you know, you bring up kind of a good point because you know you have sort of what we would say. I don't I don't want to say DFS media because I, I wouldn't really consider us media, but we're. You know, we're talking about golf and doing that kind of thing, just like you are. We're writing articles, things like that. So, you know, you're on more of the traditional side, the ESPN side, that that kind of thing. You know, so how does the does does ESPN, not ESPN, but just traditional media think of the the DFS media? Do you think there's there? You know, you know, we can mesh together going, you know, in in what we do going forward, and how do you think that you know? Yeah, you know, how are we accepted? I guess is is one I want to say as far as as the media is concerned.
1: It's a good question. I, I think I'm a little separated from some some of the more traditional media guys. Uh, you know, I'll I'll be sitting there making hockey lineup uh, while I'm covering you know Tory Pines. <laughs> and guys are looking at me like, what are you t- you know? Why are you making ho What are you doing? And and like they don't quite get it. So. I I think we're still a little bit ways away from like kind of everyone sort of integrating a little bit more and understanding that that's part of it. But I certainly think that it could be and should be going forward. I mean, let's, let's say you guys had the wherewithal to to go out on tour and cover, let's say the same schedule as me, about 24 events a year or so. And you go out there and you, and you find out fantasy golf information and you're looking for stuff, whether it's, you know, I, I, I actually think there's, probably a big market for it. Whereas instead of just looking at stats and numbers, you're actually talking to players and finding out, hey, this guy loves the course. He's swinging it really well on Tuesday afternoon. Watch out this week. Or, hey, look, this guy just doesn't have it. Um, I-, I think it's very beneficial. There's one player who I've become very close with, and I'll walk with him if I'm not too busy on a Tuesday for a practice round or a Wednesday pro program round. I'm going to walk a few holes with him, just kind of catch up and say hi. and. I can walk with him, and after three or four holes, I know if he's going to play well or not that week. And I can absolutely tell. And so if I was completely devoted to only DFS and only fantasy, I could find that out about a lot of players. So I'll give you a really good story. This is, uh, this is actually one of my favorite stories about covering the tour. This was, uh, gosh, about 10 years ago, maybe more. You can probably look up the date based on the story that I give you. But there was a guy uh, we called Harry the Hack. He was an English guy named Harry Emanuel who wrote for a uh, an online betting website, it got paid about 100 pounds a week, but would come to America and cover tournaments, and basically would fund his own way covering the tournaments because he wasn't getting paid much, but he could get a credential because he was writing. And so he would come out with his credential and go talk to players and say, Hey, how you feeling? You, know, you like this course? How's your swing? I mean, all the usual questions that any other writer would ask, but yep. he's asking for the... Gambler's advantage on it, and so we're out at Kapalua one year, and we've been hanging out all week. It's Wednesday afternoon. I haven't seen him all day. Finally, walks into the media center at five o'clock in the afternoon, just covered in sweat, he's puffing and puffing. You know, what, what have you been doing? Where were you? He goes, I, I was just figuring out who's going to win. What are you talking about? goes, oh, I just walked the entire back nine with Daniel Chopra. He's playing great. You know, Daniel Chopra is not winning at Kapalua. You've got. Uh, at the time. I mean, I, I don't know who exactly was there, but Ernie Ells and you've got Adam Scott. and You've got all all these great players here. Daniel Chopra only got in because he won at Disney in a, uh, a a field that wasn't great right at the end of the year before. He's not going to goes. He's been playing his Xbox. He's been playing Kapalua on Tiger Woods game nonstop for the last few weeks. <laughs> he loves the course. He's been practicing, and most of the guys go to Kapalua and treat it as a vacation. He's been really yeah. working at it, and uh and so he backed Daniel Chopra, put a lot of money on him. Guess what? Daniel Chopra won that week. You go back and look, it was probably 06, 07. He won at Capital that week. And my buddy nailed it just by walking nine holes with him on Wednesday.
0: That's nuts. That is nuts.
1: And I'm not sure, you know, based on the fact that, look, uh, media has changed and it's no longer just traditional media. When I started, uh, I would say three quarters of the press room on any given week were newspaper writers. Now, You're lucky if you find outside of the local writers for that week, you're lucky if you find two newspaper writers at a a given PGA Tour stop. And and there's a lot more digital media. So I don't see why the continued evolution of that wouldn't include DFS writers as well. And you've got guys going out there specifically to find out how players are feeling, who likes the course, who's dealing with a little bit of an injury, who feels really good. Uh, if you can help people and be a benefit to people by doing that, uh, I'm not sure why you wouldn't do that.
0: Sounds good to me, Jason. We just need you to be commissioner, <laughs> man. That's uh, that's all. Um, it, it, I do want to know, so you've told a couple good stories. We can, we can jump off of the, the DFS thing, but mm-hmm. we did want to know if you had any, you know, we're right here in Augusta. Pat and I both grew up in Augusta, going to the Masters since we were kids. Um, yeah. We did want to know if you had any really good Augusta national stories. From from your time covering the Masters. Now, your boy Michael Collins was on our show uh, last fall, and he told a story that I I've, I'll never forget, and I've I've retold the story to a lot of people um, about the about the media room one year when I guess there were some Wi-Fi issues, and yes. you guys yes. you guys went in there to type your articles and and do your columns and. The, the internet wasn't working, so everybody went home. And the next morning, he told the story. Yeah, was that 2006. Yeah. So it's like the next morning, everybody had Ethernet to their to yeah. their cubicle, which is just <laughs> nuts. <laughs> uh, true. But you know, having having been out there our whole lives, I was a caddy there for two years. um You know, I, there's just these things that Augusta National does that people just don't understand. They have the power to do. It's mind blowing. So I didn't know if you had a. If you had a different story you could share with us, or just something cool that uh, happened at Augusta.
1: Man, I'm trying to think. You guys might know the this story. This is this outside of the Masters. This is just sort of an Augusta national story. You guys might know the story and might know it better than me, and I might even tell it wrong, and you're going to correct me on it. But <laughs> the way the legend goes, at least, there was a caddy out there who was caddying for Bill Gates, who's a member. And they're out on the 16th hole. And I... I could have the caddy, I could have I could have all sorts of details wrong with this, but this is how it's been passed down over the last ten years to me. So uh Bill Gates on the on the sixteenth hole, and, and he goes to the caddy and says, Give me my eight iron and the caddy says, Well, you know, Mr. Gates, I really think it's a seven today. Said, no, 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 I always hit eight here. I said, uh, well I think it should be seven. Said, well, no, I always hit eight and the caddy goes, Sir, it's seven iron. Fine. But so grudgingly takes the seven iron from him of course, knocks it right in the hole for a hole-in-one. Mm-hmm. This guy's thinking, heyday, I am getting paid big time. The, <laughs> end of the, the richest man in the world just made a hole-in-one because of my club <laughs> selection. I am going to make big-time money off of this. And so the round ends, and Bill Gates kind of disappears, and the guy never gets paid. And so for the next however long week, months even, the guy is walking around just grumbling about, Man, I have Bill Gates make a hole in one and I didn't get anything from it. This is ridiculous. Turns out they've been talking around and, uh, and the guy had a young daughter, I believe. And again, details are very fuzzy from uh, the stories that have been passed down. But, but I believe the guy had a young daughter, the caddy, he has been telling Bill Gates about her. And as it turns out, Bill Gates went and paid for the girl's college education as a tip yep. for the
0: caddy that day. Amazing! Yeah, we have. I, I've heard that story, Pat. Have we heard, have you heard that story? I actually have not heard that story. So that's, that that's, yeah, that's that's, that's awesome. pretty cool. Well, so I, what, what was the first year you 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 covered out there, Jason?
1: First one I did was two thousand five, which was a decent one. Some yeah. guy named Tiger won that year.
0: Yep, I, I was sitting on eighteen green that that Sunday when uh, when that went down.
1: That's pretty cool. you have been sitting on sixteen green.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, I was sitting on eighteen, and we heard this roar. I'll never forget that. I mean, I was sitting there watching the score, you know, watching the scoreboard, and we heard this roar. And you just knew. I mean, I've been out there my whole life. I'm like, that's that's a hole in one tiger roar. That's not a birdie yeah. roar. That's not a that's not a roar for somebody else. It's not even a hole in one roar for who he was playing with, or Demarco or whoever it was. Uh, that, that's that's a hole in one tiger roar. And then they put the they put the birdie up there, and we're like, what? <laughs> like. Who's the roar for? You know why? You just don't know because you know you're 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 unplugged from the rest of the world until you go home. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah. I, and then I I stay for the the playoff with Demarco and I go home and I'm finding out what in the world that roar was about. It was the chip on sixteen. It was nuts. That was that was the loudest roar I've ever heard at the at the Masters in my entire life. Quick Maybe. segue
1: off of that. I, I would love to sit, like, and I think you guys would be really good at it. I've prided myself for a while on. I'm being able to call this, but it'd be a great little game to play on the podcast where you guys get, Oh, about 20 different yells from, uh, I'm talking about crowd, crowd noise, just the natural crowd noise from different shots. And you play, it's almost like a little trivia game. You play it. and People go, Oh, that was a 20 foot birdie that burned the edge. Well, that one, that yeah. was a seven iron <laughs> in the hole, but for a no name player in the room, too many people watching. That way, yep, yep. it would be great. I, I actually think that between the three of us, we could do a pretty good job only hearing the crowd reaction and kind of nailing exactly what the shot was.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I like uh, I like that. Uh, and Pat, you know Pat, Pat's older than me. He's he's old guy and he's been out there a lot of time. He he'd be excellent. Yeah, at so it. he'd be. Really we could bad. throw we could throw out Larry Mize in eighty seven. Yeah, we we could get some yeah. good ones. That would be fun. Yeah, I that wanna, would be, I, that would be a fun game. I, I, I kind of want to know this. You know, uh, and I'm segueing now, and this tangent here, but you know, we've we've mentioned Michael Collins a couple times. I, I need to get. I, we, I think we need some dirt on Michael Collins. Like, what do you what do you got, Sobel? You, you got any dirt on him? I mean, I knew he going to go with the. If he, was, if he was coming on our show, which he has before, he would get he would give dirt on you. So uh, we we yeah. need you to get get him back.
1: Well, I don't know how how much dirt this is, but I'll, I'll tell you. This is prototypical Collins, and this isn't just a specific story, but this happens all the time. Well, I think it happened the first time at the Masters maybe three years ago. I, I'd come back to ESPN uh, just prior to the 2015 Masters. I, I literally started two days before Masters week started, and so I drove up to Augusta. And, of course, I knew Michael really well. and I'd worked with Bob before, and you know, everything kind of gelled pretty quickly. Uh, but Tuesday, I think it was that week, I say, hey, Michael, we we don't have much work to do right now. You want to go take a walk for about an hour and go walk out on the course and go see some stuff? He goes, yeah, man, let's do it. Go. All right, we walk out there. We walk about 100 yards outside the media center. And some guy turns around and goes, hey, Michael. And Michael looks at him and goes, hey, man, what's going on? He goes, nothing, man. Just just in Augusta National. How great is it? Oh, man, you are having a great time. Oh, look at you. You bought some swag. Look what you got. Oh, that's really cool. And the guy goes, hey, can you? You know, can I just get a picture with you? Oh yeah, cool. All right, yeah. Oh, where are you from? Oh yeah, I'm doing this. Oh cool. They talk for half an hour. Right, no joke. Half an hour. I'm standing there. I'm you know, there's no phone to check, so I can't sit there and check my phone. I'm like, oh, what is going on? You know, who's he talking? To? Like his long lost best friend finally, you know, gives the guy a hug, you know, gives him his phone number, like walks away, I'm like, Who is that? He goes, I don't know. What, what are you talking about? You don't know. I, I don't know. He said hi to me. So I, I wanted to be nice, I said hi. I go You are way nicer than I could ever be. Someone says hi to me. I give him a little wave and keep going. Maybe not in my head. He he will spend <laughs> half an hour talking to somebody. He is such a good dude. I, I mean that's, this, this like actually I said, makes that's me feel worse on about. Collins. But that that happens once a week when I'm out on tour with Collins. I will walk out on the golf course with him and now I just walk away. Now I'm like, I'm not even dealing with <laughs> you right now. I want to go watch some golf. And Collins will stop and just talk to him. some guy. says, Hey, Mike. He's like, All hey, right, what's up? And next thing I know, I mean, he just makes friends everywhere he goes. We played, me and him played Piners number two uh, the week of 12, three or four weeks ago. And we're on the third hole. He's already got the caddy's phone number and following him on Instagram. And they're hanging out. They made <laughs> plans to hang out later that week. And I'm like, uh, Dude, how did you even do it that fast? I mean, I, I can't even remember the guy's name right now. And you've already, like, become best friends with him.
0: He he moves quick. It actually makes me feel worse about our relationship with Michael now. <laughs> Cause he's, probably, he's, probably doing the, he's probably doing the same thing to us at the PGA show. We're like, what up, Collins? He's like, yeah, what up, boys? What's up? Yeah, no, he has no idea. He has no idea who we are. Um, well, you know, I, I think it's hilarious that Collins does, and, and probably I'm sure the majority of people watching on ESPN have no idea that he's wearing, like, basketball shorts below his 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 <laughs> uh suit jacket and tie but ever since i learned that about him every time i see him on on tv it just makes me laugh like it, it, it i mean does he do that every single tournament that he just wears his basketball shorts because you're only going to see him from like the sternum up
1: oh we all do it this is a time-honored tradition within the golf oh, is it really? It, it, at least for those of us who are walking the golf course all day now it is Brandel chamblee like suit from the waist up and gym shorts no but he's on TV he's a working professional those of us who are out grinding away and you know following guys on the golf course we're wearing a golf shirt and shorts all day and so when it's time to turn the camera on you throw on a shirt you throw on a jacket maybe a tie if you have to you're not putting pants on (laughs) what's the point in that we all do it but somehow Collins has turned it into a cottage industry where everyone knows him as the guy that wears shorts and he's got uh, business up top and party down below which Hey, can you mean yeah. a whole lot of things
0: we don't want to mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought he was the only one. Yeah, he's 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 uh, he's marketed himself as like the only one who does that. So, no, he's just a better marketer than the rest of us. So, all right. Well, you know, like I'm sure you and Michael are pretty close. Like you guys go to all yeah. these tournaments together. Y'all, are, y'all are tag team. Pat and I are pretty close as well. I mean, we've traveled to these golf tournaments together. Like, there's just certain things I know about Pat that a lot of other people don't know. For example like when pat when pat uh gets gets uh inebriated he gets really angry he so pat is a very oh non-confrontational he's a very non-confrontational easygoing guy i mean you know very non-confrontational but when he gets inebriated he flips the switch you know how people do like they uh-huh. so i i can tell when pat gets to that level he wants to like fight people and he runs his <laughs> mouth a lot and it's just a bad situation i also know that like when pat starts falling asleep he makes these weird noises, like <laughs> he like does this murmur thing. You know, and, and I know that because we've spent enough time together and we've had to bunk up for a golf tournament together, something like that. So my question is for, for Michael Collins, are there some some little things about Michael like that, like little 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 quirks about about Collins that you could share that, that a lot of people wouldn't know?
1: Well, so his Twitter handle is funny caddy because he's you know, had a career in stand up
0: comedy and he's yeah, also had a yeah. career
1: as a caddy so uh funny caddy has been his twitter handle among us uh, on the espn staff we call him sleepy caddy because uh every so often the alarm will, will go off for collins uh on a given morning and uh he will sleep right through it and keep on sleeping and all of a sudden he's you know he's running to the toilet he's dripping in sweat he's you know uh <laughs> trying to wake himself <laughs> up so Every once in a while, he's a guy that likes to sleep. I, I will say, like, he's a gregarious personality. He's a fun guy. Um, I won't say that he won't go out and have a beer with us on occasions. He certainly does. But people, people always think he's a partier. People always think that oh, he must get down to course, and he's just raging two a.m. He's partying every night. He's in bed by nine thirty most nights. He he needs his sleep. He likes Good.
0: his beauty That's sleep that's good well you know actually since you bring it up i'll I'll go ahead and expose pat on this too but um oh great we Thanks. we want here's here's a really good one here's a really good one for you sobel now now you've done plenty of tv a lot of interviews radio you have got your own podcast with michael imagine falling asleep during a podcast when you are the guest because Ooh. pat perry has done that on a on a podcast so uh, a few months, a few did, months back, do we have to go? Do we have to go this? Morning? Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And our and our listeners love this story, so we can retell it, and it's fine. But a few months yeah, back, please. we were guests. We were guests on another DFS podcast, and they did record late at night, much later than we normally do. I told you, Pat's a little bit older. He likes to sleep as well. He'd also had a couple, and so as the as the evening progressed and the and the interview progressed, um, you know, these guys were actually talking about how like you know, we, the tour junkies kind of influenced them to get into the DFS podcasting world. And like, you know, they started listening to us when they started playing DFS. So it was like, you know, they were honoring us. They were thanking us for what, what we've <laughs> little that we contributed and they get to Pat and they ask Pat a question and there's kind of silence. And and I'm like, Oh, we, we must have lost <laughs> Pat. So we, so we move on. We start talking again and they throw another one to Pat and they're like, well maybe he's back on at Pat and, and nothing, and then we start talking and in the middle of us talking, we hear <laughs> and, we're like, and, and everybody's you know, and I'm like talking about a player, and then we hear you know hear it again and and Pat is literally snoring and fell asleep on the podcast, so of course, we all lose our minds laughing, and uh finished and finish the podcast and then and then we all hang up, and Pat just sits on the phone until. God knows how long, until he woke up and realized he was still on the phone. But, yeah, that's uh, Pat likes his sleep, too. So him and Michael Collins take yeah, care of that. I do. I, yeah.
1: I can honestly say that's never happened to me. I've done a lot of interviews. But I will say, <laughs> that it's really hard. When you're doing these things, you're trying to concentrate on just listening and, and then and then saying your part. If someone walks up, and, and people walk up, they'll be the golf course, come talking on the phone. They'll just think you're talking to somebody on the phone. They'll come up, and they'll start talking to you. And I will completely lose concentration, and I will have no idea what the question is. I used to try to play it off, and just go, "Oh well, yeah, speed should play well this week. Uh, you'd think it'd be good." For-. Now I just go, "I, I got to be honest. I have no idea what you just said." Someone started talking, and I'll-, I'll just own it. <laughs> I'll-, I'll just completely own it now, and go, "I, I have no
0: idea.
1: I, I just got that's usually bad." Now. I'm going to make this podcast three minutes longer because I'm going to leave you with my favorite story. I thought you guys were going to go here. Please do. You-, you didn't quite. Uh, but I think it, it encapsulates everything. It, it gets into golfers, it gets into gambling, It gets into everything we've kind of talked about. It's just good stories. And so, anytime I play with somebody, play play golf with uh, a new person who finds out what I do, like, Oh, can me a good story from you know life on tour and something about these old famous golfers. Here's my go-to story. It was about four years ago, I think, maybe five years ago, uh, the Quail Hollow tournament. Which uh, at that point, I don't even know what it was— Wells Fargo or whatever. Whatever it was, like Wachovia, whatever it was. In any case, a uh, few of us go out to walk a few holes with Phil Mickelson during the Pro-Am on Wednesday, and if you're ever uh, in this business and you want to find out a good way to get some good access with players, go to the back nine on the Wednesday Pro-Am, and they are ready to talk to anybody except the Pro-Am partners, and you walk out there and they'll <laughs> treat you like you're an old best friend. So, uh, we've got out there to walk the last few holes with Phil, and we're walking down the 16th fairway. Phil's got his arm around my shoulder like we're old buddies and, and I like I, I love Phil. Bill. Phil's one of my favorite guys to interview ever. I you know, I have complete respect for Phil. Uh in any case we're talking. He said, Hey, are you guys coming Saturday? And we said, Where? what's going on? He said, Oh, I've uh I've rented out this uh uh this little bar restaurant about two miles away from the course. It'll just be us. Um all my treat drinks, food, uh there'll be NBA and NHL playoff games on. This is in May. And then there's a Mayweather fight that night. I Mayweather, Pacquiao maybe, I i couldn't even tell you, but there was a Mayweather fight that night, and he said, we'll have the fight on, and just, you know, good times, relaxing, we'll just all hang out. Yeah, sounds good, thanks for the invite, So, Saturday night, Phil's actually tied for the lead. He's expecting it to rain the whole next day we go, and it was exactly what he said. There were maybe 50 or 60 people there, a handful of tour players, some caddies, other people in the industry, and so a couple of us kind of sidle up next to Phil at the bar, and... He's drinking, like, one glass of red wine. I mean, he, you know, certainly hides the lead. He's not, you know, throwing him back or anything like that. But he tells us this whole theory behind, you know, it's been a rain, and I'm going to play in a playoff with this guy. I think he was tied with Nick Watney at the time, and uh, none of that happened. And uh, instead, Derek Ernst beat David Lynn in a playoff that year, which uh, Phil, uh, even Phil, the great prognosticator, didn't see that one coming. But uh, <laughs> after the playoff games were over, the, undercards are starting for the Mayweather fight. Bill stands up in front of the room and says, look, I'm not going to make any big speeches, but I just wanted to say to everybody, the staff here is great. If you need any food, you need any drinks, just let them know. They'll take great care of us. Everything's on me. Don't worry about anything else. Don't even have to tip anything. I'll take care of everything. Uh, and I just want to say, we'll have the whole fight on. And oh, by the way, wagering is encouraged. Wager amongst yourself. They were ah, okay, cool. <laughs> of, so, course, of course, yeah. The first fight of the night is the light flyweight title fight. No one has any idea who these guys are. No one's wager. We're just kind of you know, half watching, half all just kind of hanging out and talking to each other. That fight ends. The second fight of the night is coming up and still stands up again. He said, I'm sorry. I know that I said I wouldn't make any more speeches, but I just want to let everybody know this next fight, the welterweight title fight or whatever it was, said, we've got the title holder who's 37 and 0 with 34 knockouts against the challenger Who's seventeen and twelve? I like the challenger tonight. So, like I said, wagering some cards. If anyone likes to wager with me and place a wager, uh, I'll, I'll take the challenger tonight. And of course, <laughs> everybody in the room goes, "You're crazy, Phil!" And uh, there's a lot of money being thrown around towards uh, uh, towards the title holder and the guy who's uh, thirty-seven and zero with thirty-four knockouts. Everyone goes, eh, you're crazy to take that guy." Well, of course, the fight goes on. Phil's guy knocks him out in the second round. Phil walks around the room, takes money out of everyone's Jeez. hands. I'm guessing that whatever <laughs> Phil paid for the restaurant that night,
0: he paid probably for made
1: it. double in wagers on that fight. And then probably tipped out the staff and the rest of it. Broke dead even for the night. And at the end of it, everyone says, wow, thanks Bill. That was a great night. You really took
0: care of us. It's a, he just, he's winning in life all around. <laughs> How awesome.
1: good is that? That, that just encapsulates everything about Phil right there. And I if he ever hears that I told that story on the podcast, he'll probably never talk
0: to me again. <laughs> well, I we're not we're we're pretty sure he's not a listener of ours. So uh, I, I don't uh, think you have to worry about that one. Never know. Yeah, I think you're safe there. Uh and <laughs> god the, like I hate people like that. Like I love Phil, but I hate people like that. That just get stuff like that right. That is just the, the guy's the guy's got a lot of gifts, that's for sure. Um yes, well, that's good, man. Uh, that's a good that's a good story to go out on. We appreciate the time once again. Jason Sobel, senior golf writer at dot com at Jason Sobel ESPN. Hey man, we uh we, we'd love to catch up with you again. We uh we hope to see in maybe a couple tournaments we're trying to make our way to and uh uh if not, you know, maybe uh maybe next year at the Masters at, at worst case scenario.
1: Anytime, good luck to you guys. Love being on the podcast. Let's uh, let maybe try doing it in person next time. That would be really fun.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks again for your time, man. Thanks, fellas.
1: Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply.
0: Till the tears run down from my eyes, Lord, somebody, ooh, somebody. Can anybody find me somebody to love?
1: Alexa, play hits from Queen.
0: Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.